Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone. Um, We're in a series about David. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, last year, we did a recap of what God had been doing in our church for the past year. And some of you didn't see it. And we just talked about our offering, <laughs> all this stuff that God was able to do through us uh, this past year wouldn't be possible without uh, financial support from you folks. So let's celebrate that by doing a quick recap so uh, we can thank God for what he's done. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, God, what you're doing. Oh, wow. And it wouldn't be possible without all you folks. <laughs> this is a group effort, obviously. And, of course, a lot of things weren't even up there. Uh, that's just, just some highlights. So thank you. Thank you, God. All right. We're going to finish up our series on David. I would like to do this for about three months, but I limit it down to five weeks. And today's topic is when dreams can't come true. And I want to start with a question. How many of, your life, how many of you has your life turned out just like you planned? I've asked this question before. I've never gotten a hand up. I'm still waiting for that first hand. You know, we all have these dreams about how life's going to be. And some of you are pretty young yet, so it's all before you. You know, I'm going to finish high school, maybe go to college, specialize in some field, get a good job, meet that right person, um, have two and a half kids, whatever that is, <laughs> however you do that. Um, you know, make a lot of money, have nice stuff. Uh, retire, have plenty of money to travel and whatever else you want to do, and, and no health problems. Uh, your kids all grow up and they're great, and your grandkids are all great, no problems with them, no drug arrests or anything like that, no health issues, and you live to be 95 and you, fall, you die in your sleep, right? All right, perfect life. Anybody? Nah, this doesn't work out that way. Now, plans are good. It's good to have plans, good to have dreams. But what happens when life doesn't match your dreams? Sometimes it's our fault, as we're going to see with David. Sometimes it's other people's fault. Sometimes, I'm going to say it's any God's fault, but sometimes it's God's direction or God's will. <clears throat> so, maybe you never meet that right person. Never, maybe you're never able to buy children's clothes. Maybe you struggle financially during your life and maybe in retirement. Maybe you're trying the best job you can to take care of your health and you get this serious health issue. What do you do? And if you've been a Jesus follower for a while, we kind of get this attitude and some, teach, some churches actually teach this and I kind of worded it this way on the screen. God, you kind of promised. So you kind of owe me. You know, I've been a Jesus follower since I was a teenager. In fact, I've been a preacher most of my life. God, you owe me an easy life, a good life. Come on, you owe me for my dreams to come true. There's all those promises in Scripture if I do what you want me to do. You know, by, not perfect, but I try and obey what's in the Bible and so forth. God, my life should turn out good. What do you do? Well, we're going to look at David again. David was the second king of Israel, probably the greatest king. We've been looking at him from the age like 13. And today we're going to pick up his life. He's about 50 years old. He's been king for 20 years. He's prospered. The nation's prospered and so forth. And then we're going to get to a story that most people, when they hear David's name, they think of one or two stories, Goliath or this other story. 
And uh, 50 years old or so, he walks out on the palace uh, balcony, he looks down at the city, and he sees a woman taking a bath. Scripture calls her a beautiful woman. We know her as Bathsheba. He goes check out, find out who she is. Uh, she act, he actually knows her husband. Uh, he's one of his soldiers. And he says, oh, bring her here. And the Bible says he has sex with her. He sleeps with her. Now, we sometimes say, well, he committed adultery. She's married, he's married. But it's a little worse than that, isn't it? What he did is what? What we call, classify it today. He used his power to force another person. Uh, rape is more about power than it is about lust, experts tell us. And so this is literally rape. Bathsheba gets pregnant. Uh-oh, what am I going to do? Uriah's away. Uh, if nothing else, she's going to get in trouble for committing adultery, right? Husband's away and she gets pregnant. Uh, but it's worse than that. It's, I'm the dad. And so he comes with this plan. I'll bring Uriah home. He can sleep with her and, you know, the timing can get confused and, you know, get out of this mess. But he refuses. He's a man of honor. He refuses to do that. So David says something horrible to complicate things. He gives Uriah a note to take back to Joab, the military leader, which is basically his death sentence. He hand delivers his death sentence. And Joab does what the king says. He puts him in the front of the lines. He draws back. Uriah gets killed. And so David goes, Phew. you know, taking care of this problem. Marries Bathsheba. And either he's the father of this child, even better, he's the father of somebody else's child. And he's going to take care of it. And so David tries to f- control outcome. He tries to control the circumstance. He tries to control consequences. So does it all turn out good? I'm going to put a statement on the, on the, on the screen. Every sin, and he committed multiple sins, right? probably list them. Every sin comes prepackaged with consequences. There's always consequences. Sometimes we seem to skip by. Always consequences. So, we're going to skip to the next chapter in, in the text. And Nathan, a prophet, comes to David. And God's told him, it's, you know, you need to confront David with this. Now, if you're Nathan, and you've got to go tell the king... Naughty you for what you've done, and worse than that, how are you going to handle that? King could just cut your head off, do anything you wanted, right? So Nathan comes up with this brilliant story. He says, hey, King David, I want your advice on something. But there's these two families in our, in our kingdom. One is rich and has lots of sheep, and one is poor and only has one, and they're raising it as a pet. And the rich guy needs to have a a, a festival meal celebration. He takes the poor man's sheep and kills it for his meal. David, you're the king. What should we do? David's outraged. He said he should die for stealing that lamb. He said, but anyway, he should replace four, four, four times. Uh, four sheep for one. And then Nathan says to David, uh, you're the guy. You're the man. Now, David could have done anything at this point. Nathan goes on to talk about consequences. 
This is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will cause your own household, you destroyed another household, cause your household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes. You've taken Uriah's wife, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You've tried to keep this secret. In fact, the next verse says that. You did it secretly. And we try and hide our sin. But I will make it happen to you openly in the sight of, everybody's going to know. You're trying to hide it, everybody's going to know. Now, David's David's got an option now. What's he going to do? I'm king. I can continue to try and control outcome. But here's what he does. He says to Nathan. He confesses to Nathan. I have sinned, not only against Uriah and Bathsheba and lots of other people, but I sinned against the Lord. And Nathan's reply, this is the kind of God you and I serve, if you're Jesus' follow, if you're not, hopefully there's some good stuff here that you can apply to your life. But the Lord has forgiven you. Forgiveness means it's like you never did it. But does it remove consequences? Remember? All sin comes free packaged with consequences. He says, you won't die for this sin. Notice David's pronouncement on the, on the rich man was he should die. But our God's more merciful than be in the same circumstance. And he says, no, you're not going to die. David is humbled. He confesses. He repents. And one great thing about David that we admire is he lets the law of God break him. He broke God's law. Now God's law is going to break him. One of the consequences pretty soon is the baby that's born dies. So some time passes and then um, the next story I want to bring up in David's life is this. His oldest son, Ammon, um, has, is lusting after one of his half-sisters. And so he comes up with this elaborate plan. I'll ask the king if she can come and serve me because I'm sick. And when she comes, he sends everybody else out of the room and then he tries to convince her to go to bed with him. And here's her response. No, my brother, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things don't, aren't done in Israel. Then she goes on, where could I go? In my shame. This would be very shameful. She'd never be able to be married uh, the rest of her life. You'd be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please just speak to the king about it and he will let you marry me and they'll solve the problem. There's a simple solution. But Ammon wouldn't listen to her. He's the oldest son of the king. He's next in line. He's got power to do pretty much what he wants. He was stronger than her, and then he did what? He raped her. David raped Bathsheba. What goes around comes around. What we reap, reap what we sow. And so we see this in David's son. And suddenly Ammon's love turned to hate. He hated her even more than he loved her. Get out of here. He snarled at her. Now, what did David do? Well, you read the account, he gets angry. 
but does nothing. Does nothing. Now, uh, she has a, a brother, Absalom. He's the next son in line to be king after Ammon. And he doesn't do anything either. Uh, he takes her in, takes care of her. He doesn't do anything. A year passes. Two years pass. Probably everybody's kind of forgotten about all this. And then he goes to King David and says, hey, I want to have this feast. I want to invite you and my brothers and have a great time. And David says, no, you don't need to bother with me, but you can invite the brothers and have this feast. And he gives instruction when the brothers all come, everybody gets drunk, I want you to kill Absalom. I mean, Absalom wants you to kill Amnon. He gives instructions. And they kill him. And all the other brothers are afraid for their lives and they all run away. Of course, Absalom has to run away. He's afraid of what David's retaliation will be. And if we find out later, Absalom's David's favorite. Shouldn't have favorites, but David did, and this was his favorite. Two, three years, he's in exile. Finally, David allows him to come back, but he won't see him. You can come back to Jerusalem. You have to live in a foreign country. You can come back to Jerusalem, but I don't want to see you. And you read some of the in-between stories eventually gets, burns down Joab's field and gets Joab's attention. So Joab will go to the king and get permission to see him. And Joab's wise, again, he's not going to go and confront the king. So he sends this lady in, this wise lady, and she tells a story about these two brothers out, and out about and one kills the other. And what should we do about it? And so David obviously wants to... Uh, makes a decision that basically says, well, he should be accepted back. And then she says, you're the man. <laughs> uh, this is your son. This is exile. So he's allowed to meet with David. And we think, okay, everything's going to be okay now, right? They're, they're going to be reconciled. And it's all going to be fixed up. But, but no. He meets with David. Uh, Absalom's still angry for lots of different reasons. And so he comes up with this plan. He, said, he, start, he sits at the gates of the city, and we've been there, it's pretty cool, and they do have gates, and somebody can sit there, and everybody's got to go through that gate. And he sets himself up as judge. Hey, you got a problem? Let me help you. And from the account, you find out he's pretty wise, he helps a lot of people. This goes on for four years. And if you read the account, it says that hearts of the people turn to Absalom. He's captured the people's hearts. And so now he has a plan. Now he's got a plot. I'm going to overthrow the king. I'll be the next king anyway, but I'm going to force things on. And um, he gives us these instructions, and we'll pick up the text here. He says this. He sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel, his 12 tribes, to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say, Absalom is been crowned king in Hebron. So, they blow the ram's horn, and all the messengers are telling people, you're supposed to say, Absalom's crowned king. Is Absalom king? Absalom's not king. Communication in those days is a lot different than today. And so, people hear this kind of a rumor, and people start to believe it. So, the messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, hey, <laughs> all Israel's doing Absalom in conspiracy against you. Is that true? No, that's not true either. But here's David's response. He said, we've got to flee. We, uh, he, if that's true, he's going to kill me. Can't have two kings. 
So it'll be too late. So he urges his men, hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we, us, and the city will be spared from disaster. So he's concerned about the city and he's concerned about uh, him and his men. So David, <laughs> at this point, has been king probably 30 years. He's probably 60 years old. Lived in a palace. All-powerful person. And now he's running for his life. Sound familiar? Been there, done that when he was 22, running from the king. Now he's running from his son. And when you and I get in those circumstances where it's, life isn't going like we would like, like we would expect, maybe it's our fault, maybe it's not, we can't tend to ask or think of questions similar to this. Uh, where is God? If God was really here, this wouldn't be happening to me. My son wouldn't be rebelling against me. I'm an old man. I've served you, God. I've been good king to, to your people. So what's been the point of all this? Why should I even try? I think all oh, we've been there and done that, thought those thoughts. So now he's on a fugitive. He's a fugitive on the run, out into the wilderness again. And I can't but think he's thinking, it's not supposed to be this way, is it? It's not supposed to be this way. My son's not supposed to try and kill me and take the throne. And so we too have times in our life when it's not supposed to be this way. I did the best job I could raising my kid and now there's kids that are going wild. They've rejected God. Maybe they're into drugs or some other, other, uh, having some other problems. I've been married a long time, poured my life into my, to my spouse, and now they've left me. There's somebody else. Again, I've taken best care I can of my, of my health, and now my body's betraying me. It's falling apart. It's not supposed to be that way. What do you do? Well, let's continue with the story. David's leaving the city. Everybody cries loud to the king. They crossed the Kidron Valley and they went out toward the wilderness. Now this next part is fascinating. Zadok, he's the high priest, and all the Levites came along carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now this is huge. We talked about this. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's presence. So the closer you are to the Ark, the closer you are to God. Now we don't think that way today, but that's the way they thought then. So when they're leaving the city, they want... God to go with them. They want to be close to God. But notice what happens. The king, David, instructed him to take the ark of God back into the city. Now, if you're one of David's followers, you're thinking, we're leaving God behind? And this is huge. We see such a transformation in David and the wisdom David has now at age 60 plus. Here's how he explains it, how he, how he, what he says to the people. If the Lord sees fit, he'll bring me back. And I'll be back here in his presence. I'll be back with the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. But if he's through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. The David to try to control circumstances, try and control outcomes, try and control consequences, and now saying, okay, God, I'm in your hands. The circumstances are in your hands. 
One way is I like to summarize this lesson is this way. David chose not to abandon God when it appeared, only appeared, that God had chosen to abandon him because he was going to lose his kingdom, maybe lose his life. God chooses to bring me back, okay. If God is done with me, okay. And so Absalom comes in, sits on the throne, but it's a hollow victory because you can't have two kings. And his dad's still alive. And so he seeks advice what to do. And he, he, first he asked this guy, Ahithophel, what to do. And he said, go after him before he gets organized, before he gets a bigger following. But Absalom says, well, let me see, get some other advice. So he asks this other guy's advice, and here's what Hushai says. Well, This time, Ephithophel has made a mistake. It, what he's suggesting is not the wisest thing to do. And he gives a good, a good argument. He says, you know your father and his men are mighty warriors. Right now they're engaged as a, and raised as a mother bear who's been robbed of her cubs. And remember that your father's an experienced man of war. He won't spend the night among the troops. Is that true? Not true. He's probably already hidden some, in some pit or cave and when he comes out and attacks a few of your men will fall and they will panic among the troops and the word will spread and Absalom's men are being slaughtered. And so Solomon takes his advice. The other guy whose advice wasn't taken actually went out and hanged himself. Um, wouldn't want to be a person giving advice to the king. So David has to defend himself, right? And so we but in the battle, the king gave the command before the battle to Joab, Abishai, and Itai, Itai. For my sake, deal gently with young Absalom. Okay? I know what he's done is wrong, but, you know, let's be merciful to him. And all the troops heard the king give this order. So everybody knew. So the battle began in the forest, and the forest is significant because David was outnumbered. If it was in the plains, David would have lost when all the troops heard the king, oh, excuse me, where did that? Um, beaten, um, where are we at? The Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. Great slaughter, 20,000 men lay dead for lives. The battle raged all across the countryside. More men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. There was, and one of those people killed by the forest, or partially by the forest, Absalom gets his hair caught in a tree, and he's stuck. And Joab come, finds out, and of course, everybody said, we can't kill him. It's the king's son. He says, be merciful. What's Joab do? Has him killed. <clears throat> um, so we read the next verse. Moving on. <laughs> so David's back to being a king. But it's, again, it's a hollow victory. His favorite son, his oldest son, the one that would be the king after him, had betrayed him, tried to usurp him, and now was dead. And he was grieving. Fast forward another nine years or so, David dies at the age of 70. Now, a couple conclusions here. One, the foundation of our faith, those of you that are Jesus followers, it's not answered prayer or not our dreams coming true. That's not the foundation of faith. It doesn't speak to who God is, whether our dreams come true or not, or our prayers get answered or not. It says nothing about the character of God. And when we think we may have been forsaken, we're mistaken. 
Because God says, I'll never leave you, I'll forsake you. Never, ever happened. One other fascinating thing, and then we'll, we'll close this. David had this dream to build a temple, to put the Ark of the Covenant. He said, I'm in a palace, God ought to have a palace or a temple. And initially, he got stuff together, he got the money together, he got the materials together, he was going to build it. And the prophet comes to him and says, um, sorry, David. And bring the next slide up. That's your dream, that's your plan, but God says no. Uh-uh, too much blood in your, in your, uh, during your reign. And so God's not going to uh, allow you to build it. Then if you read it, it's in Second, uh, First Chronicles uh, 28. Yet God, oh, can't build the temple. Yet God says, okay, your family's going to go on for eternity. Not only that, the Messiah is going to be born in your lineage. And your son Solomon is going to become king. And he, he's going to, uh, the nation of Israel is going to prosper even more. So, David, your dream is to build a temple, but God's not going to let that. Yet God is going to do something greater. And we probably have all had moments like this. One of the big ones in our life was we had to be missionaries. It took us five years of training and preparation to become missionaries uh, to Portugal. We were there five years and came back for a year is what missionaries do. And God said, um, you're not going back. But that's our dream, God. That's our, that's our plan. We thought it was your plan. We spend the rest of our lives as missionaries in Portugal. But God said no. And a huge disappointment to us. Yet God had something else. And we've served here for 29 years, and it's been awesome. Not saying that Portugal wouldn't have been awesome. But yet God is greater than any disappointment we might have. So pull this all down, and this is difficult for me, and I'll share that in a second. Here's your prayer challenge. Because this boils down to basically a phrase that most of you probably know. Not my will, but yours be done. God, I want to build the temple, but not my will, but yours be done. God, I want to return to Jerusalem, but not my will, but yours be done. If I can get through this again. Most of you know my wife is suffering some physical ailment. And I'm praying for a healing. A lot of you are praying for a healing and I'm going to be honest with you. I cannot pray this prayer at the end. I can't say, God, you can for me. I, I don't have that kind of faith yet, right now. Yet I know I should, but I can't. So that's my challenge for you. It's a challenge for me to pray that prayer, whatever your circumstances are this morning. Not my will, God. Yours be done. You're a faithful God. <laughs> we can always trust you for what's best. Gave you some readings, some of the story. You can read the chapters in between to fill in all that story uh, of David. It's just amazing the detail we have about this person that lived 3,000 years ago. And a quick preview of where we're going to go next week.
hope that sparks some interest for you. Hope you can join us again next week. Let me have a prayer with you. We'll have a song and let you go. God, I, I confessed uh, sometimes I can't pray that prayer. I know I should, but if I'm honest, right now I can't. God, I don't know what the folks here are going through, but you do. So my prayer for them as well as myself is that we have the wisdom to know what we should do and the courage to do it. Right now I don't have it. And God, as always, we want to pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower. Never stepped across that line. Uh, never can, can't claim that promise. You're never going to leave me or, or forsake me because I've never initiated a relationship with you, God. So today's the day. I want to accept your gifts of Jesus, your forgiveness of sin, eternal life. God, I'm trusting you with my, my future and my eternity. So that's my prayer for you that may not be a Jesus follower this morning. For the rest of us, we thank you for the life of David. One thing we can know for sure is nothing is unforgivable. God, we thank you for your amazing grace it's, and your bountiful forgiveness. It covers everything. And if it's holding somebody back this morning from stepping across that line, help them understand Jesus died for it all. Their sin, my sin, everyone's sin. God loves you and wants you to be in relationship with him. And God, when we feel forsaken, help us understand we're mistaken. (laughs) You'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Jesus. Your name we pray. Amen.